0: Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time. Uh, as the announcer said, the truth really matters. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 32. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the Bible, God's word defines for us what truth is and we can't be saved without the truth. John 8, 31. Jesus said, you're only a true disciple if you continue in his word. So I know a lot of preachers will say all that matters is if you believe in Jesus. It doesn't really matter if you necessarily if you follow what Jesus says. But that's the furthest thing from the truth that there is. As a matter of fact, the verse I want to start with tonight helps us to see that. First John two twenty four. I'm going to read it, and I'm probably going to keep coming back to this verse. First John two twenty four reads this way: If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So see, we have to let the teaching that was heard from the beginning, I might call that the original doctrine, remain in us if we want to continue in the Son and the Father. So if we don't let that original teaching remain in us, we're not going to continue in the Son and the Father. And obviously, you can't be saved if you don't continue in the Son and the Father. So it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. According to this verse, you have to abide in that original teaching to continue in the Son and the Father to be saved. If that which we have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and the Father. So if you don't remain in that original teaching, you're not remaining in the Son and the Father, you're not continuing in the Son and the Father, you won't be saved. Now, there's a couple other passages I'd like to read at this point that teach the same thing in a different way. First, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. That verse reads this way. Now I beseech you that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So God wants us all to speak the same thing. He doesn't want there to be any divisions among us. Are are we doing, are believers doing a good job of that today? Obviously not. There's all kinds of divisions. There's hundreds of different churches in the United States and Canada. All kinds of divisions not speaking the same thing. Now this may be easier said than done, but I think we all know there's only one solution to this. To obey 1 Corinthians one ten. To get rid of all these divisions, to all speak the same thing, we're going to have to all agree to remain in the teaching heard from the beginning, to teach what the Bible says. Now, I know that's not maybe not just like falling off a log, but I think we can all admit that's the only solution. We're not going to speak the same thing if we all just say, well, we're going to preach what our creed book says and you have all these different creed books. Or or that we can preach all these different things that contradict and they're all they're all. Right, that won't be speaking the same thing. That causes division. The only way we're going to speak the same thing, the only way we're going to get rid of all these divisions, and there are hundreds of them, is we're going to all have to agree to go back to the Bible by itself with nothing else added or subtracted. We're going to have to remain in the teaching heard from the beginning, the original doctrine. You see that? And then how about Matthew 15, verse 9? That verse says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Well, we're supposed to teach the commandments of God, not the commandments of men. Well, how do we know if something is a commandment of men or a commandment of God? Isn't it really true that if you find it in the Bible, in the teaching heard from the beginning, which is what the Bible describes for us, that would be a commandment of God. And if it's not in the teaching heard from the beginning, then it must have come from man because it's not in that original teaching what the Bible teaches. It must be a commandment of men. So here's another passage. We got to. We can't uh, teach for doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men would be any deviation from that original doctrine, that which we had heard from the beginning. So if a preacher tells you all you have to do is believe and you're going to be saved, even if you don't follow the teaching heard from the beginning, he's just dead wrong. Because this says you have to remain in the teaching heard from the beginning to continue in the Son and the Father. Certainly we can't be saved without the Son and the Father. We cannot teach the commandments to men. We got to strive for there to be no divisions. And the only way we're going to all speak the same thing and there be no divisions if we all agree to go back to what that original teaching was. What's in the Bible? If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. The number is 877-655-6755. The number again, if you want to call and get on the air with your Bible question or comment, is 877-655-6755. Let's first talk about some first century examples of deviations from that beginning or original doctrine. People we can read about even in New Testament times who were not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. How about 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3? Here's how that reads. Some shall depart from the faith, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Do we know any churches that forbid people like the priests to marry and that command people to abstain from meats? Well, this passage says they're departing from the faith. And if they're departing from the faith, that's just another way of saying they're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. So even in the first century, even in that first hundred years, we might say, we already have people. Who are not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. And of course, 1 John 2 24 says, if we don't, we're not going to continue in the Son and the Father. We can't be saved. How about 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18? It says, And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So here we have Hymenus and Philetus. They were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. I think we have some people like that today. Well, they said that's erring from the truth. They weren't remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning, which is that the resurrection is going to occur simultaneously with the second coming of Christ, something future to us. This is people in the first century, Hymenius and Philetus. They're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. What's 1 John 2.24 say about them? Are they going to be saved anyway simply because they believe in Jesus, even though that they teach the resurrection? They taught that the resurrection is passed off Already? Obviously not because it says when they taught that, they were overthrowing the faith of some. <laughs> the consequences for Hymenius and Philetus and those that followed their doctrine, since they weren't remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning, the consequences is that they weren't continuing in the son and the father. They wouldn't be saved. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, the, the preachers want to tell you all you got to do is believe. Once saved, always saved. You believe in Christ, you're saved. You can't do anything to be lost. But this passage makes it very clear. The Bible teaches, it'll have none of that. You have to remain in the teaching heard from the beginning to continue in the Son of the Father to be saved. Well, if you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other Bible topic, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Well, we talked about some first century examples. Let's talk about some modern day examples of people not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. Let's talk first about homosexuality. Well, here's a verse that I like to read that condemns homosexuality pretty plainly. I mean, there's five or six or eight of them in the Old Testament, five or six or eight in the New. Here's one in the New Testament. This is from the New King James Version. It says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So that passage starts out by talking about these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. It ends the same way. And it gives us a list of verses, a list of sins in between. A person that worships idols, an adulterer, somebody cheats on his wife, a fornicator, a thief, a drunkard. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And neither is a homosexual, according to this verse. Now, people say, well, can they not be forgiven? Well, yeah, a drunkard, an alcoholic can be forgiven. He's got, All he's got to do is repent, quit being an alcoholic, quit drinking. He can get forgiveness based upon the blood of Christ. But if he continues being a drunkard, this verse says he will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you have a homosexual that continues to be a homosexual, this verse says he will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. If he quits being homosexual and asks God to forgive him, then he can be forgiven based upon the blood of Christ. Now, let's compare that very clear passage, condemning homosexuality, to what, let's say, the Episcopal Church teaches now. Here I have a quote from the Birmingham News, which is only about two hours From where I live down here in the Bible Belt, August 6, 2003, says the Episcopal Church approved its first openly gay bishop, the Reverend Gene Robinson. And then Robinson, when he was ordained as this gay bishop, he said, we have many times departed from Scripture. Robinson cited the examples of ordaining women priests and accepting divorce in the church's departures. It's the old two wrongs make a right kind of thing. Well, we haven't been following the Scripture on women preachers and divorce. For, for a long time, those are departures from Scripture, but we're okay. So why can't we depart from what the Scripture says on homosexuality and still be okay? <laughs> well, what he should have done when he realized they hadn't been following what the Bible says on women preachers and divorce, he should have said, we need to go back to what the Scriptures say, because the Scriptures define for us what is right and wrong. This saying, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. That's exactly what makes it wrong. The Scripture, that's the only thing that makes it wrong. What does 1 John 2.24 say about those who have changed like this on homosexuality? Remember, 1 John 2.24 says, If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Are these, is the Episcopal Church remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning? No, they're not. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 tells us what the teaching from the beginning was on homosexuality. These people, unless they repent, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Episcopal Church is ordaining gay priests, gay preachers. So they have definitely changed from the original doctrine. They're definitely not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. Maybe they say they believe in Jesus, and I'm sure some of them do, but they're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning on this and many other points. And so according to 1 John two 24, they're not going to, going to continue in the Son and the Father. You cannot be saved without the Son and the Father. The only way that you can be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. You can't be saved without God, and you're not going to be with God. You're going to be without God if you don't remain in the teaching heard from the beginning. Now, at this point, let's talk about some a couple of quotes from the Catholic Church that I think would be interesting on this point of not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. First of all, Bishop Noel, a Catholic, said, if it be not identical in belief in government, etc., with the primitive church then it is not the church of Christ. I agree with that. It's not the church of Christ if it's not identical in belief and practice with that primitive church. That's saying the same thing as 1 John 2, 24. You have to remain in the teaching heard from the beginning. How about another Catholic quote? The Reverend C.F. Donovan. Here's what he said. Christianity is no longer Christianity if it be changed. Christianity added to or Christianity taken from is not the Christianity of Christ. He's exactly right. So these churches that have changed on homosexuality and these other issues, they're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. They're not identical in belief with that primitive, the original church, the church belonging to Christ. There is no longer Christianity if you add to or take away from it. That's so true. So true. Now let's go to uh, a doctrine of the Catholic church since they're the ones that had these two quotes. They're the ones that are saying if you don't, stay with the doctrine in the beginning, you're not really practicing Christianity. That's what we just read. They have this this doctrine called communion under both kinds. And what do they mean by that? By communion under both kinds, they've kind of waffled through the centuries on whether or not the priests are going to give both the bread and the fruit of the vine to the congregation. In the beginning, they gave them both. And then they went for some number of hundreds of years, some centuries, only giving the congregation the bread and only the priests could drink the fruit of the vine. Now, I've been told that some Catholic churches now will now give both bread and fruit of the vine to their congregation. And so so they've kind of waffled on it uh, a couple of times. But when they say communion under both kinds, what they mean by that is that they're going to give the congregation both elements, both bread and fruit of the vine. Now, we're going to read the Bible on that question in just a moment. But if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Be sure and call us at 877 655 Six, seven, five, five. Here's what the Bible says on that topic, what the Catholics call communion under both kinds. First Corinthians 11, 26, 28. I'm going to read those jutted together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So just in that passage, we see twice that the congregation is supposed to eat the bread and drink the cup, not just eat the bread. That's the teaching on this subject heard from the beginning. Two elements, bread, fruit of the vine. All the congregation is supposed to partake of both elements. And that's what the Catholic Church contended for in the very beginning. I've got a quote here from the Catholic Encyclopedia. It says, communion under both kinds was the prevailing usage in apostolic times. Meaning in apostolic times, they the congregation partook of the bread and the fruit of the vine. Well, that's what we just read. Apostolic times, the apostle wrote 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul. So yes, bread and drink the cup. And then we have the Catholic Dictionary, which says, Popes Leo and Galatius emphatically condemn persons who abstain from the chalice. So here we have these two popes. They're saying, if you just do the bread and you don't drink from the cup, the chalice, if you don't drink the fruit of the vine, you're going to be condemned. So in the first probably 1,000 years, just a guess, all the congregation, all the congregations ate of the bread, drank the fruit of the vine. That's the way it was, and you were condemned if you didn't do both. But then things started to change in the Catholic Church. Here's a quote from the Life, Lives, and Times of the Roman Pontus. It says communion under both kinds, abolished in 1416 by the Council of Constance. So up until about 1416, it looks like, or shortly before that, the congregation would do both elements. Communion under both kinds, bread and fruit of the vine. And they even said, if you don't, you're condemned. But now they're saying this is abolished. Communion under both kinds is abolished. Starting in 1416, you're only supposed to give the congregation the bread and not the fruit of the vine. As a matter of fact, here's what that Council of Constance says. It says condemnation under communion of both kinds. No priest under pain of excommunication may communicate the people under the forms of both bread and wine. So not only is it wrong to partake of the fruit of the vine if you're a member of the congregation, the parish, but if the priest serves it to you, he could be excommunicated, or he would be executed excommunicated. Well, they've obviously changed. I mean they're admitting that they changed from what they originally taught. They admitted that in apostolic times the whole congregation took of the bread and fruit of the vine, and that people who didn't take of the fruit of the vine were condemned, but they changed that in 1416 and said if a priest serves the fruit of the vine to the congregation, he can be excommunicated. Well, let's ask ourselves this question. Remember the verse I started with. What does First John 224 say about those who have changed on the communion elements? What does it say? Remember it says If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and the Father. Is the Catholic Church remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning on what elements should be used in the communion? Obviously not. Paul the Apostle said bread and eat the bread and drink the cup. But the Catholic Church has changed that through the years, through the centuries. They're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. They're not remaining in that original doctrine. So according to this, according to 1 John 2, 24, therefore they're not continuing in the Son and the Father. And of course, you can't be saved without continuing in the Son of the Father. No way you can be saved without God. You see the principle here, how we have to continue in the teaching heard from the beginning, which is going to be represented by the New Testament and the, in the Old Testament too, insofar as it helps us understand the New Testament. Well, if you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other Bible topic, Give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. While we're talking about communion, let's talk about the frequency of communion. Well, here's what Acts 20 verse 7 says. It says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So notice these early disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread and have preaching. What's this talking about here, breaking of bread? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So when we're talking about the breaking of bread here in a church service, I think this is obviously talking about a church service. We're talking about the breaking of bread there. We're talking about the communion. They came together, disciples, to break bread on the first day of the week have the communion and they had preaching also well i think the catholic church used to agree with that they say in the book legislation on the sacraments and the new code of canon law they say in the beginning mass that's what they call the lord's supper in the beginning mass was celebrated only once a week then three or four times and finally in the fifth or sixth century every day so they're admitting when you look at acts 20 verse 7 that the Lord's Supper is to be done once a week. Well, you know, to be on the first day of the week, and how often does the first day of the week roll around once a week? Like, just as an illustration in the Old Testament, Exodus 20, verse 7, it doesn't apply today, but it's a good illustration. They were told to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the Israelites. Well, it didn't say every Sabbath, but how often did they keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, once a week, because every week had a Sabbath in it. And so if they went one Sabbath without keeping it holy, if they worked on that day, they were in violation. Not because it said, remember every Sabbath day to keep it holy, but because every week had a Sabbath in it and they were told to keep the Sabbath day holy. So if there was one Sabbath they didn't keep holy, then they were in violation of Exodus 20 verse 7. Same thing here. Every week has a first day in it. So why wouldn't this mean we should do the communion once a week? The Catholic Church could see that. But then they admit they're changing it in the beginning. Mass was celebrated only once a week, then three or four times. And finally, in the fifth or sixth century, every day, they changed it to have communion or the mass or the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, every day. They changed it from once a week to every day. Now, we have a lot of churches that have gone the opposite direction. Instead of doing it once a week, every first day of the week, like Acts 20, verse seven provides the example for, they've gone the opposite direction and do the Lord's Supper maybe once a month or once every three months, or in some cases, once a year. Well, let's go back to that original, that very first verse we read, 1 John 2, 24. What does it say about those who have changed on the frequency of communion? In Acts 20, verse 7, we see the first day of the week, they did communion. Every week has a first day, so once a week, communion. Now, some churches like the Catholic church have changed it to every day and some churches have changed it to once a month, once every three months. They're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning in Acts 20, verse seven in 1 John two twenty four says, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the son and the father. So if we're not remaining in that original teaching of Acts 20, verse seven, we're not gonna continue in the son and the father. We're not gonna be saved. That seems pretty simple to me. What do you think? Give us a call at 877-655-6755. Let's switch the topic to infant baptism. What was the teaching on infant baptism in the very beginning? The original teaching. Well, how about let me read Acts 8:36 and 37. It says, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Mayest what? Well, obviously, mayest be baptized, which implies if Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may, mayest, mayest be baptized. That implies if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. Yet we have uh, lots of churches out there, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopal, they baptize babies. No way they can believe in Christ. But Peter, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized that's the original teaching the teaching heard from the beginning only believers should be baptized but the methodist church their creed book says and i quote the baptism of young children is to be retained in the church you see so they're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning the methodist church because they're going to go ahead and baptize babies unbelievers when philip said if you believe you may be baptized now what is first john 224 say about those who have changed on infant baptism? Now, remember, it says if you remain in the teaching heard from the beginning, you're going to continue in the Son and the Father. Well, the teaching heard from the beginning on this is that you have to be a believer before you can be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. Now we have a number of churches, and there's, these are big churches, many, many congregations. They baptize babies. They're not remaining in the teaching heard from the beginning. Well, you say, but they believe in Christ. They're going to be saved anyway. No. 1 John 2, 24 says, if you don't remain in the teaching heard from the beginning, that original doctrine, then you're not continuing in the Son and the Father. So the churches that practice infant baptism are not remaining in that original teaching. Therefore, they're not continuing in the Son and the Father. And you can't be saved without God. There's just no way. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. How about the action or the mode of baptism? Romans 6, verse 4 reads this way. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is baptism as a burial. Hi, looks like we may have a call. Let's try to take this Bible Crossfire, Gary from Mississippi. Go ahead with the question or comment, please. Yeah, real quickly. I'm watching the clock. Uh, by process of elimination, I heard you speaking last week, and I'm going to relate to this, this uh, probably every subject on which you speak. You were talking about aiding and in abetting in a, in a an individual who was uh, involved in a quote an erroneous end quote doctrine. And they call it on last week when we were talking specifically about women preachers. Asked if uh, they were attending a church that uh, had a, a lady who was allowed to preach on the pulpit, would they be in violation of the scripture and supported her and her and her, her efforts? And would that be? Hey, uh, I got to uh, go off the air. Say, ask your question really quick, Gary. Okay, thirty I, I, seconds. I got thirty seconds. I, I listen at a station that has women preachers on it, so you pay to advertise on this station, so would you be guilty of the same thing? Keeping I don't pay pressure? to advertise on the station, so that settles that. Thank you for your call, Gary. We're going to have to go off there. If you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me by phone, call or text me at 256 682